This Insight episode is taken from episode 20 of the podcast, where Michael and I both have a conversation with Courtney Hammond-Wagner. Courtney is a postdoctoral research fellow at Stanford University, where she is working on water governance in the Western United States. In the clip, the three of us discuss challenges for academic working culture, including being a parent in academia, a productivist mentality, and self-evaluation. Enjoy. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, you know, you basically, I think you know someone's values once actually implementing them cost them something. Otherwise, it's very easy to say, well, I, I'm in support of this, et cetera. I'm in support of that in the abstract. I'm, if what you really mean is I'm support of someone else taking care of this because I think that someone else should do it, but I don't really want to have to be bothered. I mean, that sounds cynical, but, you know, I heard the, t- the term, maybe the controversial term, like limousine liberals the other day is basically like people that are in support of like these broad set of social values but ultimately don't generally have to bear the cost of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the challenge. It's like, how do you, when it actually costs you something to believe in something, then that's, I think for yourself too, you find out it's like, oh, I now have to like basically adapt what I'm doing because my colleagues have these constraints. I don't think that's a trivial process. I don't think that's, in my own experience, it's taken some reflection and self-sorting to think like, okay, how do I think through this? How do I, how do I actually work to get this project done, et cetera? It's not just like, oh, well, of course we do it this way and that way because it's it gets complicated. Yeah. And I think that this also connects to something, Stefan, we were chatting about briefly where there's at least for graduate students and my experience now as a postdoc that there's this perception that your life doesn't really start until after that. And I had this even in the introduction, you know, there's this sort of postdoc orientation and, and the person speaking said, oh, well, postdoc life isn't life. Like, you need to get out of here as fast as you can. And while I appreciate the sentiment of wanting to, you know, move on, it's, I think that what that enables is this, or at least it, it seems to then allow people to disregard other aspects of your life, you know, and uh-huh. as a PhD student and now as a postdoc, i I often find myself randomly inserting into conversations that I have a child (laughs) Mm. and people are very surprised. You know, they don't expect a postdoc or a PhD student to have a child and to have a family. And there's always this sort of moment of like, oh, well, you're, you know, you have more in your life than just your work. And Mm -hmm. maybe there are things that we can connect on and yeah, I don't know. It's been an interesting, I guess I just realized recently that I do that, you know, that I often bring it up in conversations. And I'm mm. not sure, it, it doesn't seem to be a common thing for people to talk about their kids and to, you know, to, to bring it up when you're meeting a new colleague. But I do mostly just to assert that, you know, this isn't the, I, you know, yeah. let's, let's break this norm, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I frankly think it's a crappy norm, this whole idea that like your life should just be perpetually on hold. And, you know, it's, it's reinforcing this mentality we were talking about that like my life parentheses, like in some ways, like the things that make me happy should all be like put on hold until what? Because there's always going to be a next thing. And then you meet a 55 year old who's still on that treadmill. Right. And it's kind of shocking. You're like, okay, well then what? So until you retire? So we're all just like, we're working towards 65? Like, goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is it about academia which brings that mentality? I was, I was just thinking as you guys were chatting about that. Is it that you kind of this sacrifice for the greater purpose idea? Or is it that science draws certain types of personalities uh, who've been willing to work hard for kind of this academic success all the way up through elementary, high school, graduate school? And then it kind of feeds on the personalities of those people who have already been drawn into the system for that reason. 
Or is it that the career of academia more than other careers is very much, you're almost like your own business in academia. I mean, you kind of stand for your own ideas and you work for a university and you represent an organization, but I mean, you're, your name is the one which is on all of the papers. I think it's part of it. I think it's also easy to think that your own system is more unique than it is. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know people in business and they talk about socially counterproductive norms where you're working like 80 hours a week in a new consulting job or whatever it is. And that seems pretty bad. So I'm not, you know, and pe- people talk about problems with like the tenure system or incentives, et cetera, or the fact that we don't, you know, professors don't formally get taught to teach all that much. Like there's a lot of issues that you could bring up in academia. And I, I mean, I was talking to a student this morning and one thing I told her, it's like, you're going to figure out that like most people in the world are just figuring it out. <laughs> like they yeah. weren't, most people were never taught to do what they're doing because ultimately you just, you figure it out as you're doing it. Right. So I'm not, I'm not convinced that most of this stuff is like all that unique to academia. I don't have like the data as a good academic to back that up. I don't know. I also do think there's a self-reinforcing aspect to the culture. I, I think it's, I don't know where to insert the word insecurity, but I think it's doing a lot of work. There's a, you know, people, people are insecure. Um, I think it's just a part of the state of being human in some ways. And I think that we all get kind of nervous. You know, you can kind of hear me trying to figure out how to actually articulate this. Yeah, well, one aspect that I've been thinking about it a lot, I think it was your conversation with Krister Anderson, Michael, where you guys talked about, correct me if it was someone else, but where you talked about the, the when you have an indicator, then the indicator becomes the goal um, yeah. for a lot of things. And I've been thinking a lot about that for for the last weeks or so since I re-listened back to that. And I, th- I think in academia, there's so many examples of that where we look towards quantifiable indicators. I mean, maybe because we're kind of drawn in and a lot of us think quantitatively and think about data and think about numbers that we're even more susceptible to that in the career to have data which represents our progress and then that driving those numbers up, H index, impact factor, citation rates, uh, things like this become the goal and those goals are there's no one capping what is good with those things or what is what is can what is the self-evaluated level at which you can then say oh i've i've achieved something compared to everyone else um and instead of science becoming this this pursuit of of you know intellectual freedom which you should have is especially if you have a tenured right especially if you have a tenured position this is the idea kind of behind it that you can have the freedom to to engage without the pressure of something external, but we've kind of created our own external pressure with these indicators and it's changed somehow the goal. That's at least how I've been thinking about it the last weeks. I think it really crowds out some of the, I mean, the, the idea that we're all motivated to this work so hard because we have a passion for it. I think that's the ideal, but I think that gets crowded out by these indicators and this mentality that I would just call productivists, right? So it's about more is better, full stop. And I mean, getting back to something you know, being kind of reflective about this podcast, when I talk to people about what I've enjoyed about this podcast, it's that it's it's gotten back to kind of an artisanal mindset for me where I'm I'm having thicker conversations with people about things that I care about. And that is felt like a really healthy antidote to starting to feel like every interview or survey is simply a, a row in a spreadsheet. Which of course is not bad. Like that's data. I guess I should say those are data. But I really had missed kind of this connection to a more artisanal sensibility. And I think 
I also think that we lose that connection to to the papers that we write. I mean, the, the times when I actually like writing is when I develop a kind of an affection for a paper, and it feels like this feels artisanal. It feels like a, I'm you know practicing a craft. I'm caring about the writing, and there's there's lots of ways we get away from that. Some of it's academies where we kind of we get professionalized to obfuscate, um, which I think is its own problem. But the other is when we just start treating papers as if they're items on an assembly line. So to bring this full circle, <laughs> I think what you're saying, Michael, and connecting to that to Stefan's comment about the indicators, and then back to the, is it Christy Nash, the interview on academic life? Um, something that I've been sort of struggling with and, and thinking about that and the comment of, you know, um, being a parent brings these positive things to your career and how do we frame it as a positive? The thing that I don't want that to focus on is that, you know, being a parent makes me more productive and allows me to write more papers and to hit more of those indicators. Because I think that at least the way, you know, I don't want to add that pressure that then I have to exceed above and beyond because I'm now a parent and because I'm now, you know, I now do the academic things better. But it almost feels to me like the transition in the way that I work, it's, it's almost more like what you're describing, Michael, where it's like, since I'm now this sort of split personality where I have my time with my child and I have my time at work, I really want my time at work to be something that's meaningful. Yes. And I want to be able to devote myself to a passion and engage with it in a way that feels meaningful and produce good work and have meaningful conversations and relationships on topics that matter um, and not just for the indicators, not just to get, um, you know, to pad my CV and to get the right job. I want to feel like there's a good reason that I'm spending time away from my kid, you know, and I'm not quite sure what the indicators are for that, but I do think it makes me a better researcher. It's just how we, like, I don't know if we can capture that as much in the indicators. Yeah, I'm not sure there's, I mean, I'm sure there's not an easy answer to this, but I, I mean, you know, part of this is, well, I think there's a, there is a self-reinforcing nature to some of this where, you know, you hear about someone who says, oh, well, you know, this other person, you know, we've all heard this, this person published like 15 articles this year and they got cited 500 times, but that, you know, you don't hear anything about what the ideas are in that, in those 15 publications, you hear the numbers and it's, I think sometimes we emphasize that it's because we're, we don't spend enough time reading each other's work. And the reason we don't spend enough time reading each other's work is that we're all spending all of our time trying to get to the numbers that other people could refer to because they're, they're not reading our work. Yeah, and I think one, one other aspect to that is you don't, there's no discussion about how that paper, those papers were created, the process. Were they doing it in a very militant way, which is not friendly to their colleagues, which is undermining the success of others, which is... Mm. Um, I don't know, which is, was just doing things which are unethical or was, you know, are they, what was the process to get to the goal as well? And I'm, I'm, of course there are many people who are just wonderful people out there in science and they're, they're achieving goals, um, in the best way possible. But there's also people who are quite cutthroat, I think out there yeah. and, and they're not giving credit, for example, to, or co-authorship to some of the people who help them, especially younger PhDs or maybe grad students. And there's no discussion at all that I've seen about the process. And I think when, when I was reflecting also back to what you were saying, Courtney, is what do I want to get from the time that I'm spending? And a lot of that is the process. The, if I'm not enjoying the process of doing it, then, you know, if I don't learn something throughout the way, 
Um, the times when I'm, when I'm thinking and I'm enjoying academic work the most is a time where I, I come away from a long conversation, maybe, maybe a podcast or with a, with a colleague taking a walk. And I felt like I actually learned something and I actually changed my mind about a particular thing, or I was inspired to, to think about this problem in a new way. And it's very difficult to, to measure those types of occurrences you could say or it's very hard to quantify those things i don't i don't keep a log and, and and say that you kind of just note that that was a successful way of doing things but it never really comes out and is reflected in at the end of the year when we have to go through our department and i have to submit all the papers that we did and all the project proposals it, those things never get manifested in the academic process or the evaluation of of the success yeah, yeah well i mean it's yeah i mean i think part of it is simply you have to be able to find a space for yourself to um, live out some of these ideas without, I mean, I think a lot, I see a lot of like environmental studies students struggling with these kinds of ideas where they, they experience this like very problematic system that they kind of participate in. And so what do you do? And I think there can be like this paralysis where it feels like you kind of have to do all or nothing. So, I mean, I think it's part of it is like, how do you find a space where you can afford yourself to live out some of these ideals without waiting for the system around you to change? If you enjoyed this episode of the Finding Sustainability podcast, you can listen to full interviews with all of our guests in the podcast feed. You can also find us on Twitter at find underscore sust underscore pod, or you can visit our website www.essnetwork.net forward slash podcast. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher, and can be streamed from our website. This podcast is part of the Environmental Social Science Network. For more information about the network and how to get involved, please visit our website. Thank you for supporting the podcast.